blessed this church with some very gifted musicians and individuals. Ah, I about lost my glasses. We were going to really be in trouble then. Uh, Jeff James is, uh, it says he's preaching, but uh, he's not. Uh, as I said earlier, Jeff is home with a stomach virus or something. Uh, but we're going to continue in the book of James. I guess that's kind of, I guess that works. Uh, if you'll open your Bibles to the book of James, uh, we'll pick up really kind of where we left off, the end of chapter 4 beginning of chapter 5. You know, there's an old saying, it actually was first applied uh, to journalists, and which said, you know, the, the purpose of newspapers was to uh, afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted, and that's been applied often to preaching, uh, that that's the, the job of presenting the truth of God's Word, is to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. And I tell you, if you read through the book of James, you see James working very hard at both of those things. Uh, we're going to, today, I'm afraid, maybe be afflicting some of the comfortable. Uh, it's Brother James that we're looking at. We're going to begin in verse 17 of chapter 4 and go through the first six verses of chapter 5 in the book of James. You know, you know, when this was first written, of course, James didn't break it up into chapters and verses. It was one continual letter, so that, that chapter break is, is a modern invention, basically, as they, they put the Bible together. Um, and, and with what had come before here in chapter 4, and that verse 17 to me is just a critical, critical transitional verse, a great application, a summation really, of much of the book of James. Uh, so we're going to start with it and then move on to chapter 5. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, sometimes in your word we are confronted with a harshness that can be disturbing. And yet, Lord, we know that your word is truth. We know, Father, that you use it to convict us. You use it to discipline us. You use it 
to bring us to repentance and ultimately, Lord, you use it to reveal yourself and to lead us to salvation. Father God, I pray that today we hear your words and we know they are the words of a loving Father, of one who desires that all men come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that all men may be saved. Lord, sometimes it is difficult to be confronted with your truths. For we are a fallen people, stiff-necked and rebellious. And Lord, we know that you want what is good for us. For you are a loving and gracious Father. Lord, reveal your love to us. Reveal your grace. Reveal your truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Verse 17, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. We're actually going to come back to that verse in a little bit, but I just want to lay that thought out there before you, lay that great truth before you, because we so often think of the, the Christian life as a, a life of do not, a life of things that we're not to do. Uh, you know, we were... I was talking this morning and I was reminding Martha of a, of a portrait that is in the uh, rotunda at Southwestern Seminary. They have there a in the rotunda this beautiful entrance to the chapel, the portraits of all of the presidents of the seminary. B.H. Carroll, the first president of Southwestern Seminary, was a notorious cigar smoker. And if you look very closely at that portrait, You'll see his hand is kind of in a funny position. And it, it, it's right there. Well, what happened when they did that portrait back in about 1912 or 1913, they did it with a cigar in his hand because then that was not a big deal. But then later on, as Baptists realized that the tobacco was something that was so bad for them and came out so strong against tobacco, they went back and they, they retouched that portrait and, and took that cigar out of it, but his hand, if you look real close, it's still there, just kind of hold where it would be holding something. It seems like we as Baptists often think of the things that we don't do as the right thing, but this verse tells us very much that the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. We easily become complacent in a lost and dying world and we think that we're okay because we don't do things and God is here telling us the truth if you know the right thing to do and do not do it that too is sin come now you rich weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you that come now says listen up 
Remember, James is writing this letter to congregations there in that first century, congregations much like congregations today, made up of a mixture of saints and sinners, made up of a, of a, a mixture of economic demographics. He's already warned the people back earlier in this chapter, I'm sorry, earlier in this book about uh, giving preference to those who were wealthy, of giving them the good seats and oppressing the poor by giving them the bad seats. And he has is, he is condemned that. He even says, is it not the rich who opposes you and, and, and personally drags you into court? And he's speaking to this congregation. Come now, you rich. Who, who are the, the rich that we would talk to today? If you ask somebody who's getting by on $20,000 a year, you know, to, somebody, to them, man, $40,000 a year would be rich. Somebody who's getting by on $40,000 a year, you know what? To them, somebody getting by on $80,000 is rich. And so it goes. And so it, so it goes. The truth is, though, in our country today, most of us would be considered rich when you look at the rest of the world. In fact, if you're earning $2,200 a year, you're in the wealthiest 50% in the world. If you have $1,500 in assets, you're in the top 40% of people in the world. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. You know, the Bible doesn't condemn wealth. But this idea of rich, there's two different concepts there. In fact, the Bible tells us that God gives us wealth and he tells us what we're to do with it. The idea of being rich is an idea of heart. Chapter 1 here in this same book tells us that the rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowers, like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. The Bible makes it clear it is not the amount of what you have that makes the difference between whether you are rich or wealthy. It's your attitude toward it, toward it and what you do with it. Verse 2 tells us, well, verse 1, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. There's a certainty there that those miseries will come because of the attitude toward the wealth that someone has. The idea of that richness will be destroyed. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted. 
and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your riches. James here is speaking really to the corrosive effects of ill-gotten gain, of an unhealthy attitude toward that which the Lord has blessed us. He's speaking here of end times. It's an eschatological view. It's the, the view of judgment. In that verse 1, he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries. I think that is a, a reference. And here what he's doing is calling them to repentance. Earlier in this book, he has told us to, to weep and, and, and <clears throat> to, to moan as a sign of repentance to bring us to that point of repentance and salvation. Your gold and your silver have rusted and the rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire, giving that impression, that idea, that picture of this inanimate objects of gold and silver deteriorating, losing their value. And even that, it will consume your flesh like fire. Before I went to seminary, well, actually even for about the 10 or 15 years in seminary, my, my profession, I was a professional fundraiser for nonprofit organizations. Did consulting work uh, around the country uh, for museums and arts organizations to help them raise the funds to, to meet their mission. And it, because of that, I have met and had direct contact and talk with a lot of rich people and a lot of wealthy people. And there is a difference. The wealthy people were the people like one of the men I got to know and worked with in Dallas, Texas. I have no idea what he was worth. He gave several million dollars to the seminary. He supported all kinds of causes around the city. Uh, he, he was in his 70s and was learning to play the trombone. Uh, this man was so full of life and joy. And I also knew a lady who would get up every morning and lay out her bonds on a table and would go on her computer and would spend all day assessing the values of what she had. She had become sad and bitter and isolated because all she was concerned about was this stuff. And I tell you, she had plenty to go around. But she was so concerned about losing it, she forgot to give it at all. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and the rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. You know the story from the New Testament of the foolish rich man, or the rich fool it's called, where he 
builds his barns and his harvest is so great that he fills his barns. So what does he do? He fills more barns and fills up all of them. And Jesus then says, Ah, you fool, don't you know that your soul will be demanded of you today? And all of that grain stored up goes to waste. You see, the first flaw here, the first thing that this, uh, that this rich has done wrong is to hoard their goods. They stored up your treasure in the last days. The first sin there is one of an improper use of wealth, improper use of the, the gifts that God has given us, God is the giver of all good and perfect gifts and we are to utilize them in His kingdom, whether it be gifts of goods and material wealth or gifts of talent, of abilities. We're to use them properly in the manner that God has prescribed, which is to further His kingdom to help to make disciples, to bring glory to the Father. You know, wouldn't it have been a shame if Jill, with that beautiful voice, the, the, the talent that she was given, and also I can tell and I think has worked at to develop, because that's, I mean, that's a beautiful, beautiful gift. Just think how much poorer we would all be if she weren't willing to share that and give that as a gift to us. If Bart and Ronnie, with the giftedness that God has given them, had said, oh yeah, we'll sing at home and in the shower, but we're not going to share that with anyone. Hoarding the gifts that God has given you, to store them up for some future time which may not come, is a sin. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. The improper use of the gifts were given. Verse 4, Behold! The pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. The Lord of Sabbath is the Lord of hosts. Remember back in chapter 4, verse 6, it says, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And that word opposed there is a military word. It, it was as if the, the armies of God were lined up in opposition to you. Well, here when it speaks of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of Sabaoth is the Lord of hosts, the hosts of heaven, the armies of heaven. What James is speaking against here is Really the improper acquisition of wealth, of cheating those who have earned their pay, 
You know, the Old Testament tells us in Leviticus 19.13, it says, you're not to withhold the pay of the laborers even past sunset. Now, we don't pay everybody each day. Well, in some cases, we still, when we first moved to New York, uh, the first job that I had there, I was working as a day laborer, and it was kind of nice. You get handed that little envelope of cash at the end of each day. What James is telling here is the improper acquisition of wealth is a sin and that God sees it. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts and he is going to array his army in heaven in opposition to the proud. His pride, envy, that is what leads to oppression. Verse 5. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. What he's talking about here is an improper use again, but this one is selfishness. To use the gifts that God's given you in a selfish way, again, whether it is material goods or a talent. Look back at chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? There, verse 17 of chapter 4, Therefore to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. And here he's condemning those who live lives of wanton pleasure, fattening themselves without regard for those even in their employment, for those even in their families, for those even in their neighbors who are starving, who are going without. They have not done what they know is right. Verse 6. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. By our lack of care, lack of concern, lack of of sharing, lack of using our gifts to further the kingdom of God and to care for His people. We condemn others to hardship and even death. 
and the righteous man does not resist us. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19 gives us an idea of the positive side. I'm not going to leave us right all right there feeling down and convicted, although I would hope that some of us do. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, Instruct those who are rich in the present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. James has given us the negative side. James is a harsh, almost an Old Testament type prophet in the way that he's speaking here. Timothy gives us the positive side of how we are to handle what God has given us. It's not just Old Testament, New Testament. Deuteronomy 8 tells us, But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you power to make wealth, that He may confirm His covenant, which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. Proverbs 23, 5 tells us when you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. The idea there is when you set your eye on it, when you try to concentrate on it and are not paying attention to, to what God would have you do with it, that's when it is going to fly away. James speaks of works and faith. But Paul did also. Remember in Ephesians 2.10, Paul says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. It's an echo of Timothy's command, instruct them to be good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may, may take hold of that which is life indeed. Folks, we live in the most prosperous nation on earth. We are, by the world's standards, wealthy. Rich. God gives us each gifts in a different measure. He's given us material things in a different measure. He's given us talents and gifts in a different measure. But He gives it to us for one purpose and one goal. That is to glorify Him whether it be little or whether it be a lot, the purpose that He gives us these gifts is to bring glory to Him. And He lavishes us with gift after gift after gift. I pray that this 
passage has been both convicting and instructive. Uh, I think today I've done more to afflict the comfortable than to comfort the afflicted. But it is the Word of God, and it is the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come before you today, Lord. We thank you, Father God, for the gifts that you pour out upon us. Lord, convict our hearts where we are selfish. Lord, show us where we maybe are are hoarding and keeping to ourselves things or gifts or talents or abilities that you would have us share with others. Lord, let us put to use all that you provide that your kingdom may benefit. The disciples will be made and that you will be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. Just a moment, we will be singing a hymn of invitation. If the Lord has convicted you today, you pray right there about how he would have you respond. If you wish to join in fellowship with this body of believers, come and meet me down front. And if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, I pray that today is the day that he has convicted your heart. Or perhaps he has sometime in the past and you've not made it public. I pray to you, come down. Let us know that you too are one of his children. Let's stand and let's sing.